interesting that Daniel, since the time that he was arrested, we haven't heard a word from him in this chapter. There's been a lot of things happening. We saw the unrighteous group uh, assemble to attack Daniel, to arrest him, and then to make sure that the king uh, was going to follow through on the law that he just made. They weren't going to let him get away with letting Daniel go. But yet, Daniel, there's nothing to be said about him uh, since his arrest is just silent. And that tells you something. That tells you sometimes the Lord has a plan. And he, once you get uh, in that situation with the Lord, maybe it's a persecution, there's really nothing you can do. It's just you have to wait on the Lord at that point. And even though the wicked do a lot of things behind the scenes, a lot of things they're trying to do to make sure that Daniel gets destroyed, Sometimes the righteousness have to be quiet. Sometimes you just have to wait. And that's exactly what Daniel was doing during this time. And so uh, it's interesting. I just thought that we haven't heard from Daniel. And so the, now the story is about the king. And this king sees the mess that he made in condemning someone that he loved. He didn't realize his pride would lead to destruction of people that he cared about. And that's exactly what took place here. Uh, the king, he's at the, he's at the end of himself, and he's not being able to deliver Daniel for, from his own foolish decisions. And so letter A, on, on number five, it says, King Darius knew that only Daniel's God could deliver him from the power of the lions. And I'm going to go to verse number 16 and 17. <coughs> it says, Then the king commanded... And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So the king, it's interesting, the king has now turned to his last resort. Think about this. He spent all night already laboring, trying to change a law. Uh, the Bible says that he was distressed. He was just totally torn up. And now at the end of all that, he goes to Daniel and says, well, I guess the Lord has to deliver you. <laughs> you know. So basically what this is saying, and I have a quote here, the Lord was King Darius's last hope. However, the Lord was Daniel's first hope. And see, that's why Daniel was silent. Daniel was doing nothing. He was arrested, and that was it. Because before they even arrested him, he was already in prayer. He had already turned to the Lord. That was the first thing he did. The king, it was the last thing he did, you know. And I thought that's kind of a contrast here that we see between these two people. But we have to ask ourselves when we go through things, is the Lord our last resort, or is he our first resort? And that's, that's a pretty important question, I think, that we need to ask ourselves, whether that's true or not. So Daniel had already been living in a constant relationship of dependency upon the Lord. That is why he could be obedient to him in spite of the consequences. You see, if we don't have the Lord as our first resort, and we're not already walking with him, we're not going to make the right decision when the pressure comes. Daniel did. Darius is running to the Lord as his last hope. 
hoping that God can undo the damage that he did while putting himself before the Lord. <laughs> they both received the same answer. But Daniel only sowed good seeds, while Darius is reaping the bad that he sowed. And so that's what we need to understand, that if we have a, a constant walk with God, then we don't have to worry about sowing bad seeds from it all. But Darius, even though the answer was the same, think about it. <laughs> Darius uh, made all kinds of mistakes here, and he was distressed, his soul was messed up, all these things, yet the outcome was the same. <laughs> and yet Daniel had peace, and Darius didn't. Darius had God as his last hope. Daniel had God as his first hope. And I think that we as believers, we ought to be very careful that in our life, we don't wait till the trouble comes before we turn to the Lord. We ought to already be walking with him so that when the trouble comes, we just continue. And we'll continue no matter what happens, you know. And I think that's the difference between a Daniel and a Darius, you know. And so <clears throat> King Darius afflicted himself over his foolish decision all night. He did it all night. It says, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. So here Daniel's in the den. He sealed it up already. And now he's fasting. Neither were the instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. So you have the most powerful man in the world, <laughs> not sleeping, fasting all night. It doesn't say fasting in prayer. I think he was fasting because he just wasn't eating. <laughs> but it doesn't say he was praying, and nor do I think for any reason that somehow God was listening to him because this had nothing to do with Darius. This had everything to do with what Daniel's already chosen. Number two, King Darius lamented as he waited to know Daniel's fate. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Well, I like the way he turned to the Lord for the last resort. He's still questioning whether God is able, you know. I think the question of whether he's able or not really is answered. But whether he was going to is really up to God. And so is God able to? The word lamentable means to pain or to grieve. Now, I'd like to be able to try to do that voice for you right now, but I think it would sound very strange with the way my voice is right now. It might actually be a lot like his, you know, but I won't do that. Letter B, Daniel's righteous response to the king. This is so good. Let's, let's go to verse number 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, his first word since his arrest, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Think about this. And then verse 23, then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed 
in his God. So the first point I have here is Daniel had no bitterness toward the king and wanted Darius to know it. Think about this. The first sentence out of his mouth after his arrest wasn't an attack. It wasn't something to make Darius feel bad about what he did. In fact, he used the words, I think, that the other men tried to use to try to trick the king. Oh, king, live forever. They did that to manipulate. He's doing this to show that he's got no bitterness towards his king. So then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. See, that's a statement against bitterness. See, bitterness doesn't want you to live forever. <laughs> bitterness requires judgment. Bitterness throws accusations. But forgiveness wants life. People to, even though they've done wrong, they still want people to go forward and be blessed in their life. In Ephesians 4.32 it says, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One of the principles I taught last night to the church at Coldale, I was talking about how that in order to cross over into the promised land, which is the will of God for your life, the children of Israel had to learn some lessons. And God spent over a year trying to teach them these lessons. And we know that when they finally got to the promised land, they didn't do the right thing because they didn't learn the lessons, <laughs> like many of us do. And I think many Christians wander their whole life without actually doing the will of God because they don't follow the lessons that the Lord tried to teach them in the, after salvation, you know, in your di discipleship and growing. And <clears throat> one of the first lessons that God taught Israel when they left Egypt, he brought them to the, the bitter waters of Mara. And the bitter waters of Mara, I mean, your first drink of water is now bitter, <laughs> you know? And many times it's like that in the Christian life where there's bitter things that happen. And not only bitter things, but even thinking about the bitterness of your bondage for the last 40 years. Like, who are these people that did this to us, you know? And God wanted them to learn. He told Moses to take a stick and put that stick into the water, and that water that was bitter would be turned sweet. And so the first lesson that God wants believers to learn, and this is what keeps most believers from entering into the promised land, they do not enter. And I don't believe every Christian will. I believe actually a minority of believers are actually going to experience the will of God for their life before they die. That's what I believe. Because we are too bitter, we're too angry. We are too selfish. <laughs> we don't trust God with the manna every day. Give us this day our daily bread. We make all kinds of compromises. And we murmur and complain. And that's what God hated the most, <laughs> you know. When he said this, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. See, that's the cross right there. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That was the cross. You see that piece of wood that Moses put into the water? It was a symbol of the piece of wood that Jesus Christ had to hang on. And what he's telling them here is if you want to go forward and want to enter into the promised land, you've got to learn to apply that cross 
to these offenses in your life. And that's what it says, for God, for Christ's sake, there's the cross. <laughs> and you look in the scripture, and you'll find many verses, you'll see the cross without it actually mentioning the cross. And that's where you take that cross and you put that into your bitter water. <laughs> and it turns sweet. And if we've not learned to do that, by the time you're supposed to be going into the promised land, you know what you're going to do? You're going to look at the giants and say, they're too big for me. They're too big for me. Instead of like Caleb when he went to the promised land and said, they're pretty small to my God. And bitterness will keep God very small to you and make the giants very big. Amen. And so I just love that that Daniel in his first statement, <laughs> O king, live forever. Live forever. Bitterness is die right now. I hate you. I want you to suffer. And you tell me that a person, what would you do? If you were in this situation, you knew that the king did this to you. What would be the first thing out of your mouth? <laughs> would it be, oh, king, live forever? Or would it be, let's find a way to kill the king, <laughs> you know, for what he did? Number two, Daniel gave glory to God for sending his angel to shut the lion's mouths. And so as my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths, that they have not hurt me. Now, Daniel didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't understand how God was going to deliver him, or maybe if God would even deliver him. <laughs> maybe God wanted to take Daniel home, and this was the way. And maybe through martyrdom, he, God was going to do a great work in Babylon. So I don't think Daniel knew exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> you know. But when God did it, he gave God glory for it. And that's something we got to always remember with our situations. When, when you go through things and God delivers you or God does something great for you, never take credit for it. It's God that protects you. It's God that takes care of you. That's how you can do things with joy. That's how you can move forward with joy. You know, knowing that it's not based on me. It's based on what God wants for my life. Number three, Daniel knew why God shut the mouths of the lions. He knew why. It says this, For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Now we know the devil is a roaring lion. And I believe that these lions here can be very symbolic of the demonic forces in our lives. And I believe that Bitterness and anger and all these different things and sin will allow Satan to devour your life. And it may seem that you're okay right now, but ultimately your life will become devoured over time if we give ground to Satan. And, and I dealt a couple of situations, you know. Uh, yesterday we were dealing with people that, are, that were talking about things way back, decades ago. And they went to the Lord in prayer and were delivered from that. But because of that, they were slowly going down because of depression and all these different things that were going on in their life. And yet they went to the Lord and they got it dealt with and all of a sudden they were free. And this person just said, oh, I feel I have peace now. 
They didn't know how to have joy. I was talking about the Red Sea. I said, you know, they weren't singing after the blood was applied to the doorposts. They didn't sing after the death angel passed over. In fact, they didn't even sing after they left Egypt. <laughs> they surely didn't sing when they got to the border of the Red Sea. <laughs> but when Moses said, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> and then the Lord opened up that way and they went across. And the thing is this, when they looked back and saw the water cover the army, that's when the song came. You see, that was the first song in scripture. And it didn't come because of the blood. Just because the blood was shed, a lot of Christians talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And you know what? They don't get joy from it. <laughs> but I'll tell you where your joy comes from. When you finally understand what the shedding of his blood has done for you. That's where the joy comes from. <laughs> Because I see a lot of Christians, they talk about, oh, I believe in Jesus, <laughs> but they're miserable, you know. They got no joy in their life. I was talking to the pastor there, and I was saying, boy, your folks really love to sing. So they, got a, they just really are exuberant when they're singing the hymns. He says, well, when you got the joy of the Lord in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I said, exactly. And that's exactly what took place with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. They saw the riders destroyed. They saw Egypt closed behind them, <laughs> that place of bondage. And it's kind of like that song, Victory in Jesus. We sing it, but do we really believe it? See, that's, that's the first crossing of the Red Sea. It brought them to a place of joy, knowing that my salvation is a true salvation. <laughs> it's a salvation where I can never, ever again worry about what, I what, what I've gone through or whether that's going to come after me again. The Lord has closed the door. Amen? Victory. <laughs> Victory in Christ. The devil, though. Wow. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. One thing I know about being a pastor, working in a church, is my enemy isn't the people. My enemy is the devil. But when people give ground to the devil, it almost looks like they're the enemy when they're not. We can't defeat the enemy by defeating the people. <laughs> we defeat the enemy by defeating the devil. <laughs> That's the key. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so Daniel is giving us here reasons why God shut the mouth of the lion. And you know, many believers, the devil has devoured them. Many believers are being devoured by that lion. So what is it that I need to keep that lion from devouring me. And Daniel knew that. He actually, as soon as he got out of that den, he said to the king, this is why, this is why the devil didn't get me. This is why the mouth was closed. And so letter A, it says, we are devoured 
by our lack of submission to God. Our lack of submission. We have no resistance against the devil without submission to the Lord. And we need to understand this principle. It's very important. In James 4, verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the, brow, the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> wow. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. How important that is. You have many people in their minds, when you ask them how they ought to live, they can write you a 10-page essay on how to live the Christian life. But when you ask them how they really live, and you look at their experience, it's a complete opposite picture. <laughs> See, double-mindedness. <clears throat> double-mindedness is knowing what to do here, but not doing it because it hasn't gone here. There's something else in my heart, <laughs> you know? But that's why it's difficult <clears throat> sometimes when I'm pastoring and I counsel people, and you sit down and talk to them, they know all the answers, so they know exactly what you want to hear, and they tell you the right answer. And now the right answer somehow you know, frees them of the obligation to <laughs> you know, be responsible for what they've just done. But folks, it's not true. You see, you don't judge what people say they are. You judge by what they do. What you do reveals your heart. <laughs> Amen. What you do reveals what you believe. What you believe and what, what you really are. And that's why it says here, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So the king, then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. No manner of hurt. Think about this. He just went through a betrayal. He had all his fellow workers turn on him. And not just, you know, to get a paycheck or to fire him or something like that. They turned on him to kill him. <laughs> We're talking 122 people turned on him. 122. <laughs> And when he came out of his lion's den, there was no manner of hurt. Now, there's more than one kind of hurt. <laughs> that he could have been bit by the lion, and that would have hurt. <laughs> Amen. I mean, it would have drawn blood. But there's other. See, many times people go through things in their life, and they come out by it emotionally, in their soul. And yet, had no manner of hurt. No manner of hurt understand that we can go through whatever God has called us to go through and we don't have to come out of it somehow 
emotionally distressed, you know, or now I'm going to be on pills the rest of my life, or anything like that. If we truly trust God, we'll know this was God's will, and we'll walk out of there in perfect peace with no manner of hurt. Letter B, <clears throat> we are devoured by our lack of purity of heart to God. He says, for much as before him, innocency was found in me. That means purity in God's sight. So not purity in man's sight, but purity in God's sight. <laughs> Can you imagine God closing the mouth of the lion because he looked at you and says, you are pure before me? What an amazing thing. <laughs> and Daniel knew it. Daniel knew he was living a pure life. We need to understand that if we want to keep <laughs> the devil at bay in our life, and we want God to shut the mouth of that lion, we've got to keep our hearts pure. We've got to stay innocent before our God. We've got to stay innocent, <laughs> you know, and we have to know it because Daniel knew it. He says, I know why God did it, because I know I have been innocent this whole time. Can we say that? You know? This is how, what gives the devil power. Let her see, we are devoured by our sinful actions toward people. It says, and then he goes on to say, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. In other words, he says, King, because I have not hurt you, because I've not stolen from you, I've not slandered you, I've not been disloyal to you, that's why God shut the mouth of the lion. We'd be saying, hey, you've got every right to be disloyal. You've got every right to attack King Darius. But God responded by closing the mouth of the lion because you're doing right, no matter how right Darius is, I'm going to keep the devil from devouring your life. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know? So that's why when Daniel walked out of there, there was no matter of hurt. <laughs> he wasn't sitting there, oh, you know, everybody hates me. He's I'm right with God. My God just proved to me that, you know what, I'm pure before him that I've not hurt anybody and I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Boy, what more do you need? If the whole world turns on you, what more do you need than for you to lift up your head and know that you have done the right thing? That's what Daniel had when he walked out of that den. And that's what he told the king. It must have convicted the fire of the king, you know, because here he wrote this law that hurt this man, who was probably <clears throat> the only man in the kingdom that was loyal to him. Yet it was him that he put in the lion's den. But I think Darius is getting mad now. <laughs> and I'm thinking something is boiling up inside of him because he's saying, man, somebody manipulated me here, <laughs> you know? And we, it takes us to number six, the destruction of the accusers. Verse 24, it says, And the king commanded that they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, 
and the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. This is an amazing thought that there were at least 122 people and their families that were fed to the lions on that day. That's not just one lion. That's not just two lions. How many lions would it take to devour 122 people in the same day? <laughs> I would say at least 50. Maybe a little less, I don't know. There's a lot of lions. So when God shut the mouth of the lions, he shut all of their mouths. There was not one devil that could hit Daniel. But these guys, all the devils went loose on them. Every last one of them. There was nothing restricting them from destroying these people. It's a lot of lions. Letter A. The devil shows no loyalty to us when we decide to use his tactics. The devil has no loyalty. Even if you obey his commands and tactics, he will, he will chew you up in the end, <laughs> you know. The devil has ways that he, he likes dealing with us. You know, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God every day talking about you. And he says, see that dirty, rotten person that calls himself a Christian. And he accuses you over and over. Every little thing you've done, every thought you have that is manifested, he brings it up and he accuses you before God. When people start doing that, that's exactly what these unjust people were doing. They were using the same tactic that the devil uses. They were accusing to destroy, not to help. I said, I've, I've had a few messages a while back where I said that if we're dealing with something, it's not to destroy people. It's either you need to save that person or if they're unsavable, you're doing it to protect the people around them. Those two reasons. But an accuser of the brethren has one purpose to hurt, to hurt. And that's what these guys were doing. That's all they wanted to do is hurt Daniel. They, they were doing it for their own selfish desires. Whatever their motivation was, we don't know exactly. It could have been because they were patting their pockets. You know, Daniel being the first president and then all of a sudden the king making him maybe king over the whole realm, that would have stopped the padding pretty quick. In fact, if he would have become the king, <clears throat> maybe then he would be able to deal with what he probably saw happen as a peer to the other presidents. So they thought, man, we got to take this guy out now. They just wanted to hurt him. They wanted to destroy him. And you know what? That's a devil's tactic. And ultimately what took place is the tactic that they used on the innocent is what ultimately destroyed them. And the Bible's clear about that. It says, oh, I think I'm, I'm going to move on. I think I have it a little further down. 
Let it be the consequences for the accusers affected their families detrimentally. Think about this. We have to be careful when we allow Satan to use us in these ways. It doesn't stop with you. It affects everybody around you. That's why the Bible says that bitterness defileth many. As much as you think you're the only one angry at somebody, ultimately your anger and bitterness is going to reach over and touch your children. And they're going to become probably just as angry and bitter, maybe even more than you are. You know? And so it's very detrimental. Number one, the protection we have from the Lord is given through our submission to him. The devil cannot rule over the child of God that is hidden in the Lord's high tower. (laughs) You know? That's why David said many times, Thou art my high tower. Excuse me. (coughs) 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 Sorry. (coughs) Oh, my. (coughs) Sorry again. (laughs) Oh, that didn't happen last night when I was preaching. Oh, Proverbs 13 says this. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. (coughs) That's a powerful verse. That word despise, um, when it says, whoso despiseth the word, it's simply just talking about thinking little of. I mean, whosoever in their lifestyle <clears throat> does not give the word of God a primary place where all of my decisions are filtered through the truth <laughs> rather than my emotion rather than my hatred, my bitterness, that if I do not have the word of God in such a place where what I'm doing is scriptural, that means I'm despising the word. It means less to me than it ought to to mean. Then it goes on to say that they will be destroyed. Why is that? Because the word of God is your high tower. It's your high tower. It's your shield. That's the only way you can be protected. Number two, the lions easily destroy those that do not regard the Lord. This word is, <clears throat> has hit me a couple times, many times as I've gone through this passage. When you're talking about the lions here, it says... <clears throat> Verse 24, and the king commanded that they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions, what is this word here? Had the mastery of them. The mastery. Well, where does the word mastery come from? Well, it comes from the word master, right? 
the lions became the master. There was nothing that they could do to change the fact that the lions in that particular situation <laughs> was the master of them. And they had mastery over them. See, <clears throat> when we give ground to the devil, and we allow things into our heart that ought not be there, what we do allow is the devil to become master. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You can cry about it. You can complain about it. You can say, I don't like this. But you know what? It's not going to change anything. Because as long as he has a part of your soul, he will always be your master. Always. And so these lions had mastery over these people. Um, that's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 26. This is very good. <clears throat> we'll, we'll look at this in our um, anger series on Sunday night. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So what happens is this. That if I don't learn to master my anger and deal with it, the devil will have mastery over me. That means, sure, you're going to go through things and you're going to get angry. <laughs> I've gotten angry about things. And then I've got to go to the Lord. I can say, Lord, <laughs> this really gets my goat here. <laughs> I feel I like to go punch somebody in the nose right now, <laughs> you know. That's anger, by the way, and wrath, right? If I would do it, then wrath would be there, <laughs> you know. But anger is just inside. It's just in here. And so it's saying, be angry and sin not. So he knows that anger is going to rise in you. But he says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That means if you allow the anger to remain What's going to happen is you will give place to the devil. And that's when that lion is going to have mastery over you. And he's going to chomp you up and devour you. And so we got to take these verses very seriously. <laughs> you know, has there been times in my life where my anger went past the day? Yeah. And probably with you too. You probably did go to bed angry. <laughs> you say that, that great marriage principle for, for couples, don't go to bed angry. <laughs> it's not just a cute saying. It's saying if you do that, you'll keep the devil from being your master in your life. But if you have a constant anger, and anger isn't always seen, it can simmer. It's like a simmering thing that's always underneath, and all it takes is somebody just to poke and I was like, wow, there it is. See, that's because you've been angry for a very, very long time. And the devil already has, is your master in many situations of your life because you can't even control how you respond to people. <laughs> Jesus did. Imagine having someone take um, a blindfold, put it on your face, tie you up, and then just slap you. And say, tell me who I am. Which one hit you? <laughs> Spit on you. Mock you. 
whip you till your guts almost hang out? You know, the Bible says that he reviled not, he threatened not. Neither did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. See, the devil had no mastery over Christ. <laughs> See, he committed it to his father, unto him that judgeth righteously. The father was his master. As the father judges, so I do, he says. And that's what we have to become as believers. We have to begin uh, making these decisions that I'm not going to allow the devil to gain mastery over me because of my unkept anger or bitterness or whatever's going on, my sin. If you've got a sin that's unconfessed and it's continuing on, what's happening is you're allowing the lion to have mastery over you. Okay? Well, later on, uh, uh, Darius is talking about Daniel. He's making a decree. <clears throat> and he says, and he's talking about God in verse 27. He says, he delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in the earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? The power. The word power means the hand. That's why we talk about the hand of God. It's talking about the power of God. It means a control, the control of the lions. It talks about possession. So he's saying it del he delivered Daniel from being possessed by the lions, being controlled by the lions. Amen? See, that's what God does for us. Satan has been seeking dominion right from the start, right in the garden. When they give him, when they listen to him and ate of that fruit, Satan got all the dominion. Now he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. And he's already got everybody walking according to his course. He is their master. <laughs> but those that are saved, we say, I've received Christ. I've got a different master now. I've got a different king that I bow down to. But is that really true? <laughs> See, that's only true is if our anger doesn't go past midnight. That's only true if we're not allowing our bitterness to consume us and defile our children. Otherwise, those lions will not just consume me, but they're going to consume my family too. Just like they did these guys. You know? So that word mastery, it just, it's always hit me when I read this passage. The devil will rule over you if we become jealous, we become envious, angry, bitter, and the judgment that we deem appropriate for those we are angry at is probably the judgment that we may face. These accusers probably did not think they would become the lion's lunch that day. They had all power in their control. See, this is Satan's tactic. He gets you to believe that in your strategy that is apart from Scripture, that somehow you still have control. And when you realize you don't have control is usually the time that they're already chomping on you. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't this supposed to be Daniel? Supposed to be lunch for the lions? 
why have I become the lunch? <laughs> because you've been deceived. You thought you were in control, but you're not in control. <laughs> and when you think you're in control doing the wrong thing and the bad thing, when you finally realize you're not in control is probably when the first bite's going to be taken. And you don't want to wait that long. <laughs> Amen. You want to repent <clears throat> before it takes place. Before that happens. Now, number seven will be done here. I think this is the last one. The decree of a glad king. Darius made a decree to tremble and fear before God. I like these decrees these, king make, these kings make. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> you know, like what is he going to do if they don't? <laughs> you know, throw them into the lion's den, you know. And I tell you, if I could make decrees that would have that kind of control, well, we actually did. Our, it's called our covenant and statement of faith. Amen. It says, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. <laughs> For he is a living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Number one, he is the living God. That means this is the God that can see, hear, speak, think, act, do everything that you need him to do. He is alive. Number two, he is steadfast forever. That means he's sure and secure. Especially when you look at the kings of the ages, of the empires, none of them really lasted that terribly long. They all have their end. But he says, not this one. Number three, his kingdom shall not be destroyed. It will not be hurt. His dominion is unto the end. That means he's sovereign. He says he delivers. That means he's free. He frees you. He sets you free. And number six, he rescues. And the word rescue means to extricate. You know what extricate is? My father-in-law is a... Is a um, a fire chief, and his specialty is extrication. And he's done it for many years. In fact, he's won championships all across Canada, where he is the captain, where he goes in, he has a team, and they set up scenarios. It could be that they'll have three cars on a pileup, smashed up, and they got big machinery that'll crunch these cars up into a scenario of a terrible accident. And what they try to do is ascertain when they get to the site, they walk around and they see exactly what needs to be done before they touch anything. <laughs> and then what they do is they support those vehicles because when they start cutting, what's going to happen is if one's piled on the other, it's going to flip over and maybe kill one of the, the victims. And so they got to support the cars <laughs> and the situation. And then they find a way in where they can carefully cut away everything that is locking that person in that place. If they got a piece of metal jabbed in their leg, they got to consider that. They got to find out how do we do this? 
without cutting the arteries, without making the, the damage worse. And so extrication is very detailed. It's not just yanking, <laughs> amen. You don't just go as an extrication captain and go in there, grab them, pull them out, like you see on TV. Now, maybe it's burning. I mean, it's probably worth it, <laughs> you know. But most of the time, they don't do that. Most of the time, they take a lot of care and a lot of time to make sure that everything is in place where that person can be removed from that accident. And that's exactly what God does for you. He extricates you. So you've made a mess of your life. You've, you, you're, you've been in a, in, a, in a huge crash, you know? And sometimes you lodge yourself into a situation where you yourself think, there's no way I will ever be used of God or God can ever do anything with me because I've made my life such a mangled mess. But what God does is he sees the situation. He secures the site. <laughs> then he carefully, over time, cuts away those things that are hurting you to pull you out of the wreck. Now, if you just want him to pull you out in one day, you might be disappointed. <laughs> it, it takes a while to extricate people. <laughs> and that's why sometimes when we have people here uh, and they're, they're in a wreck. We, we have a lot of grace with people. <laughs> and sometimes you say, Pastor, their behavior. And I says, well, I know, but we're trying to extricate them. <laughs> Amen. Now, there comes a time where they don't want to be extricated. They just want to die there. And you can't do anything for them. You know, but our God, he delivers and he extricates. <laughs> He rescues. I like that word, don't you? He works signs and wonders. He's miraculous. And he's delivered Daniel from the power of the lions, the hand, the possession, the control of the lions. Letter B, finally, Daniel prospered for the remainder of his life. So it says here, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, and we know that Daniel's life ended with Cyrus the Persian, and then it was over. So his life was quite a life. <laughs> he went all the way from uh, a you know, 16, 17-year-old boy being brought into slavery. You know, he saw three, four, five kings come and go, and yet the Lord kept him through all of that gifted him, gave him blessing, used him. Every king saw in him a spirit that, that they could not understand. But because of that spirit, even the lost kings elevated him and exalted him in that. Just like Joseph, everywhere he went, he just kind of rose to the top because of his spirit. And that's the way we got to have a good spirit as well. And he prospered all the way to the end. He advanced he had success. And that's why the Bible says in Joshua 1.7, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And that was Daniel. I just encourage us, folks, 
you know, that's submission to the scripture. It's, it's a common theme for preachers to preach on that. It's like, oh, here we go again. Preachers talk about submission, <laughs> you know. But in all reality, that concept right there is everything you need to succeed in your life. If you will make a decision to submit to God through the word of God, I will guarantee you this, that your life will be prosperous. But if you don't, I don't know what God's going to do. But all I know is, if you don't, the lions have some control over you. And it's only a matter of time before they start chomping and devouring. And so we've got to make a decision. Like Daniel, there's innocency in me. Lord, I'm doing the right thing. We need to start today. And that way he can bless you for the rest of your life and you'd be like Daniel, prospering to the end of his life. Boy, I'm going to love to meet Daniel one day. You know, Daniel, we're going to go up in the rapture we're going to experience the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if we'll see him there. Maybe we will. But another seven years are going to go by. We're going to come back with Christ at the second coming. And then when Christ sets up down here, he's going to call up the Old Testament saints. And we're going to be all gathered around. And he's going to say, come up hither. And we're going to see Abraham come through. We're going to see Noah. We're going to see Adam, you know. You know, the Bible talks about Abraham, that he lived his whole life looking for that city, that we feel bad. Oh, poor guy, he didn't get to see his city. Well, his life's not over, you know. You need to understand that that was just a portion of his life. And when God makes a promise, he's going to follow through. And so Abraham will walk into that city and he will find it after all those thousands of years, and you're going to be there to see it. <laughs> the fulfillment of that scripture come true before your eyes, and there'll be Daniel, you know? And I am sure that all of us are going to be able to talk to these folks, and we're going to be able to ask them about Darius. We're going to ask them about the lions. We're going to ask them about what God did and, and you know, how, what got him through the hard times. You know, what a wonderful thing to think about. And then we'll have the rest of eternity just keep getting to know each other. I'm going to go hang out at Daniel's place. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think it might be like that? I don't know, <laughs> you know. But you know, you may just go hang around with Daniel. Maybe Gord will say, I like Noah better, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, all I know is that one day, all these men that have suffered and they've spent such a hard time going through life, being tested and, and going through hard trials, just like you and I, one day it's not going to matter. And that's what the scripture says in Romans, that these present sufferings that we're going through now are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us when we see Christ. Amen.